Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. This is the final episode for this season, season seven of the Islamic History Podcast, where I provide a little bit of insight and some analysis on the uh, series that we just completed, which is, of course, the Bosnian War of the 1990s. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about some of the current um, situations in Bosnia regarding the uh, economy, uh, Islam in Bosnia, the um, ramifications of the Dayton Accords, and also at the time that I'm recording this in late November 2021, there was some concern about some uh, tensions in Bosnia and Herzegovina between uh, the government and the uh, Bosnian Serb entity, which was known as Republika Srpska. So we'll talk. We'll discuss some of those things real quick. Uh, let's go ahead and get started right now. So Bosnia and Herzegovina, it is considered, in my opinion, this is my opinion, not really hard numbers. I would consider it a developing nation, not really, really poor. Like, um, yeah, I don't diss anybody's nations, but it's not a really poor nation. It's somewhere not quite in the middle, but maybe the lower half of the middle. Its GDP per capita is 15,000. Uh, so that's per capita is basically divided by, take the GDP and divide it by the, um, the population of that, of that country and get the, the gross domestic uh, production by each individual. And at the top of that list is the United States, Norway, and I think Switzerland. At the bottom, we places like um, Niger. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think of some place. Afghanistan, places like that, where it's you know very very little to hardly any. However, Bosnia and Herzegovina is not that bad. Its per capita GDP of fifteen thousand is the same as, or roughly in the same ballpark as, countries like Brazil. China, and South Africa. Now, bear in mind, once again, this is highly dependent on the number of people. The total gross domestic product for a country like any of these countries, Brazil or China or South Africa, is many, many more times that of Bosnia. But because their population is so high, especially China, you're dividing that that uh, GDP by so many people. Like Whatever population of China is now, like 2 billion or so, something like that. Whatever it is now, that's what you're dividing its uh, its GDP by. So, don't take these numbers or these affiliations too seriously. So, even though that even though Bosnia and Herzegovina has a GDP of fifteen thousand per capita, that is still lower than both Serbia and Croatia. And there's a reason for that. We'll get into that in just a, in just a moment. Bosnia is a fairly small nation, and I should say actually Bosnia and Herzegovina, that's the full name. Bosnia and Herzegovina is a fairly small nation, less than 4 million people. It is trying to become part of the EU. It is not yet a part of the EU yes, just yet, but it is working towards it. It is also working on joining NATO, and it, is, it will probably become parts of both uh those organizations probably within the next decade or so. It seems to be going according to plan. Now, as far as Islam in Bosnia, now it's hard for me to really determine how Islam is practiced in Bosnia because I've never stepped foot in Bosnia myself. 
But there are some things we can figure out just from YouTube videos and the research we've done so far. Before the war, as we mentioned during the, the series, Islam was not really practiced very um, stringently in Bosnia. People were mostly cultural Muslims, and this came after years, generations of communism, of communism uh, the communist ideology, of course, as many of us know. It suppresses religion in many cases, and so Islam was suppressed in Bosnia for several generations while it was under the uh, communist regime. Despite the fact that by the time Yugoslavia began to fall apart and break up, despite the fact that most Bosniaks were not uh, really practicing Muslims, they are Muslim culturally and nominally, by name only really, not really serious Muslims. I probably shouldn't say that. I don't want to say not serious Muslims, but they weren't really practicing practicing Islam as we are used to it being practiced. Even though they were Muslim in name only, they were still attacked and killed. And the only reason that they were attacked and killed by the Bosnia Serbs and to a lesser extent the Bosnia Croats, the only reason this happened was because they were Muslim. And the only reason the international community allowed this to happen was because they were Muslim. The only reason they put the embargo on, they could say whatever they want. I do, you know, I do believe that the embargo was placed on Bosnia to make sure the Bosnians lost. And we've we discussed it. I gave I read you the quote during this series. So if you're not familiar with it, go back. It's all there. So if there's any, if there's if you could take any good from this tragedy from this horrible war that happened in Bosnia, if there's any good from it, it resulted in an increase in Islamic awareness in Bosnia. It seems as if the Bosnian people realized that they were being attacked and killed only because they were Muslim. That led a lot of them to look more into Islam and become more serious about Islam, especially the, the, uh, the, generation that came, the generations that came after the war. It's been almost over 30 years by now. Another thing is also that some of the major uh, benefit, benefactors, the, some of the major supporters of Bosnia during the war were Muslim nations. In the early stages of the war, as, as we've covered, no one was helping Bosnia. I mean, the United Nations was there, but not doing anything. No one was stopping the Serbs from doing all the stuff that they were doing. No one was trying... They. Peacekeepers weren't keeping peace. I mean, the United Nations Protection Force wasn't protecting anything. It was the Muslim nations who did the most to help Bosnia, primarily Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Iran. Now, I know a lot of you guys, a lot of people just, you want to rag on Saudi Arabia so much. And it, Saudi Arabia does deserve some criticism, as does Turkey and as does Iran. Every nation has many things that can be criticized about, and they are no different. But hey, you got to give them the kudos on this one. I mean, Saudi Arabia has denied sending soldiers. Iran has not denied it. They say they did, and they don't mind saying that they did. I don't know if Turkey did, but Turkey did take part in the NATO bombing campaign. So I would not be surprised if Turkey sent secret squadrons into, into Bosnia as well. I'm almost certain. I'm almost certain that 
individual Turkish citizens would have went into Bosnia to fight, maybe without government permission. I just don't see how um, Muslim Turks, for after we discussed that strong relationship that Bosnia had with the former Ottoman Empire, I just can't imagine that there were some um, Muslim Turks who decided to take up the call and went into Bosnia to help out uh, without government sponsorship, without government uh, backing. Allah knows best, though. But anyway, these nations, and not just these three, but many Muslim nations, but primarily these three, helped Bosnia financially and militarily. And this kind of increased the, how do I say this, the connections, I guess, between Bosnia and Herzegovina and the, really the, the Bosniak people, the Muslims of Bosnia, and these other nations. Because once again, they realized that they were getting killed for no other reason except that they were Muslim. And this helped them gain sympathy for many parts of the Muslim world. I remember when I was hearing about this story, um, about Bosnia, when it was first started, I was like 16, no, I was older than that. I was like 17, 18 years old, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I was about 17, 18 years old. And I didn't quite understand it. And I just it just seemed that... It just seems so crazy that these pe people in Europe were killing Muslims, and I couldn't really get to the bottom of it. But I just saw it; just made it look like the Muslims just getting run over all over the place. They're just getting destroyed by Serbs and sometimes Croats, and then crossing their friends again. I didn't understand how that back and forth went back then either. I, I understand it now, of course. I just completed four months of research, so I guess I should understand it. But back then, I didn't really know what was going on. It, all I saw was that Muslims getting killed left and right. And the United States stepped in and, and bombed a few people and got them signed to an agreement. That's how I saw it up until I really started, started doing this research into Bosnia. Anyway, um, I kind of believe that if the arms embargo had been lifted or if there was no arms embargo, I think the Bosniaks could have fought the Bosnian Serbs to a draw at least and might have been able to negotiate a better, a better deal with the Dayton Accords, and we'll discuss the Dayton Accords in just a moment, inshallah. But even with the embargo on, towards the end, you know, the Bosniaks weren't doing that bad. They started to make a, a bit of a surge there. Only reason they, um, this, bear in mind now, the Bosnian Serb army, they, a lot of the massacres were, was, was being done against unarmed civilians, against women, children, and old people unarmed villages and stuff. So it's not like they were, you know, killing soldiers. A lot, of, a lot of soldiers were killed. A lot of Bosniak soldiers were killed, of course. But these atrocities were, I mean, they were doing it against unarmed civilians. There's no glory in that, but whatever. But the Bosniaks themselves, the Bosniak army, or the, especially the army of A-R-B-I-H, the army of Bosnia and Herzegovina, even with the, even with the embargo in place, they were starting to, towards the end, right before Srebrenica happened, they were starting to really push back on the Bosnian Serbs and starting to make some inroads. And that was with the embargo there. Perhaps if the embargo hadn't been there and it was easier for more Mujahideen, this was before 9-11, by the way, if more Mujahideen were able to go in there with proper uh, military equipment, yeah, I think it would have been a different story. But things happened the way Allah decreed for it to happen. 
As I mentioned, the war seems to have led to, to, led to an increase of Islamic awareness in Bosnia. When I watch videos from around that time, the late 80s, early 90s of Sarajevo and Bosnia, I don't see any women wearing hijabs. None. None. Everyone is just dressed like regular old Westerners. But now, go look at some videos from after you know, 2005, 2010, 2017, 2021. Totally different story. You see a lot of women wearing hijabs. Even um, I, I saw a whole bunch of funerals. I watched videos of, of several funerals in Bosnia during the war. And that's usually the time when women tend to cover up more. And you see a few women wearing, you know, like little handkerchiefs over their head, like, you know, barely. You know, they're covering their hair, I guess, a tradition, putting on a hijab, but not the hijab that we are we are familiar with but when i look at them the modern videos in of sarajevo and bosnia you see women there's no doubt about the hijab that they're wearing they are clearly muslim clearly muslim so that's good alhamdulillah that uh, islam has begun to increase in bosnia and inshallah may allah allow it to continue to increase i mean Another thing is that there is some influence from um, Salaf, Salafi, Salafism. We'll get to that in just a moment real quick. But generally speaking, as I think I've intimated during the podcast, that Bosnia has always been heavily influenced by Sufism, which is just like the Ottoman Empire. Sufism was very big in the Ottoman Empire. Therefore, it's pretty darn big in Bosnia as well. And it still is. I'm not passing a judgment on it. I don't have any problem with Sufism. Don't have any problem with Salafism. I'm just giving the information that as it stands. But Sufism is still a, a big part of Islam in Bosnia. There are some Salafi communities, as we mentioned during the series. These are mostly people, former Mujahideen, who just settled down in Bosnia and started their own little communities in, in the mountains. Bosnia, as I mentioned, is not heavily populated, so there's lots of open land out there, lots of small villages stuck in the in these mountains all over the country, and sometimes Salafis start their own little community there. And it is what it is. So there are lots of them sprinkled about. Another thing is that after the war, in, after the war ended, Saudi Arabia and Iran competed with each other to try to gain influence in Bosnia, both politically and religiously. So Saudi Arabia, considering that it's not under the sanctions that Iran has been in back then and still is now, Saudi Arabia was able to make inroads pretty quickly, much quicker than Iran. Iran did make some inroads there. There are, there, there, was a, uh, there are some Shiites in Bosnia, but they are a small minority compared to the Sunni population there. After the war, Saudi Arabia provided a bunch of scholarships to Bosniaks who wanted to study at the at Saudi's um, Islamic universities, the University of Medina and others. And many of, obviously many of them took it. They accepted that, that offer. And they brought the Salafi Minhaj back to Bosnia. And as you can probably guess, if you are familiar with the contrast between Salafism and Sufism, then no surprising there's some conflict between the traditional Sufism in Bosnia and the 
these newly arrived uh, Salafis. But it's it's minor. I don't I don't think it's like going to Salafis are not about to take over the entire country or anything like that. It is I think is really what I mentioned. Just small communities of Salafis who wanted to they don't they don't agree with Sufism. Fine, so they set their own little communities and they do their own thing. That's pretty much about it. I don't get the I don't get the impression that Salafism is a threat in Bosnia to overturn the traditional practice of Islam in Bosnia anytime soon. Uh, I don't I don't see that happening there. At least not from what I've read and studied and watched. And remember that uh, communism had stifled most forms of Islamic expression. So right after the war, Saudi Arabia or Salafism if had fertile ground. They went in there and the, the, the Saudis sent their preachers and teachers and Bosniak students who came back from studying in Saudi Arabia and Salafism attracted many people to it. And it is what it is. But Sufism is still uh, dominant in Bosnia. I don't, as I mentioned, I don't think Salafism is going to take over anytime soon. Sufism is still the dominant practice or expression of Islam. As I mentioned, the uh, most Bosniaks practice Hanafi fiqh. And as we've also discussed briefly in the series, the ICBH, Islamic Community in Bosnia and Herzegovina, that is the main Islamic organization in Bosnia. It controls most Islamic affairs in Bosnia. I believe it's episode six. I think it was episode six. This authority of that the ICBH has was, was given to that organization by the Ottoman Sultan himself and by the Austrian government. Go back and listen to episode six if you need a refresher on that. And so ICBH kind of really controls Islam, Islamic affairs. They're responsible for providing worship services, Islamic education, Islamic religious guidance uh, to Muslims in Bosnia, also to Bosniaks living outside of Bosnia. And they, I've been to their website. They have an English version of their website. ICBH clearly states that they they uh, promulgate and promote Islam according to Hanafi fiqh. So I don't have any problem with this. So long as Islam is being practiced to the best of their ability, that's between them and Allah. Now, on to that Dayton Accord. In my opinion, the Bosniaks got a raw deal at Dayton. They did not get a good deal. Now, the Dayton Accord the peace agreement that ultimately ended the Bosnian War, it wound up dividing Bosnia, Bosnia and Herzegovina into two entities. One is Bosnia and Herzegovina, and the other is Republika Srpska. Republika Srpska is the Bosnian Serb entity of Bosnia and Herzegovina. To me, I, in my opinion, and this is just me, giving... Complete now. Let me make sure I say this correctly. It's kind of rewarding those Bosnian Serbs who took part in genocide. It's like you're you're rewarding them for atrocities and genocide by giving them their almost independent, complete nation. And it gets it gets worse than that. I mean, like the Serbs have their own land. They have Serbia itself and Republika Srpska. So they have their own land. The Croats have their own land, though there are some Bosnian Croats who still live in in Bosnia. There is still Croatia. The Republic of Croatia is there for ethnic Croats. But the Bosniaks do not have their own land. There is, they don't, they have to share, they don't have any jurisdiction hardly, very little jurisdiction 
I don't think I have any jurisdiction at all over Republika Srpska. And even within Bosnia and Herzegovina, they share power with the Croats and with the Serbs, for that matter. <laughs> they share with the Croats and the Bosnian Serbs. So it's the Bosniaks got a raw deal, in my opinion. Republika Srpska is almost completely autonomous. They have some. They have to share some of the federal authority with. Bosnia and Herzegovina, but for the most part, Republika Srpska is independent in pretty much all but name. It is also nearly completely homogeneous. It is 83% ethnic Serb. There are some small pockets of of uh, Bosniaks and Croats there, but it's mostly uh, mostly ethnic Serb. And its government, it has a normal parliamentary government with a prime minister and a president. You might say, why was the big deal? Well, Bosnia and Herzegovina, the other entity in Bosnia and Herzegovina, is extremely convoluted, has one of the most confusing, complex governments on the planet. And this government is so, there's so many overlapping uh, jurisdictions, so many overlapping powers, so many limitations to federal power that it limits the power of the Bosniaks, of the Muslim Bosnians living there. It's like this, this was... Um, this government was deliberately designed to make sure Muslims don't ever have too much control. They can share control, they can share power, but they can't have full power. Here's one example. Bosnia has a three-member presidency. Its presidency, it doesn't have a president, it has a presidency made up of three members. And those three members must always be one Bosniak, one Serb, and one Croat. And then it rotates every month. I'm sorry, it rotates every eight months. So you can never have a Muslim president who just is like the president of the entire nation. That's never going to happen, according to the current constitution, which is based off the Dayton Accords. And there is so much complexity with those 10 cantons I discussed during the, during the series. And, oh my, it's, uh, I'll just suggest, you can go on YouTube. There are many videos discussing Bosnia's confusing government structure. You will see what I mean. Now, I got to admit, obviously, I was nowhere near Dayton when these negotiations were going on back in 1995, but I don't really blame the Bosniak representatives at as President Aliyah Izetbegovic and others who are at the Dayton Peace Accords and had to make these difficult decisions. I don't really blame them because they probably didn't have much choice. The United States, the United Nations, the, Euro the European community i think it was back then. i don't think it was european union union just yet i believe you know they probably pressured them saying better sign this agreement give up these powers give up this authority do do this and do that or if you don't then you won't we're going to leave you we're going to leave you to the mercy of the serbs so I don't really blame them for taking this raw deal that wasn't really great for them because maybe they didn't have any other choice after 8,000 8, of your people are killed in one day in Srebrenica, maybe they just had to just end the violence at some point. Milano's knows best. And as I mentioned before, and I read you the quote, it's not my speculation, France and Britain did not want an independent Muslim nation in Europe. So even though Muslims make up the largest demographic in Bosnia and Herzegovina, they cannot control the government. And I do believe this was a deliberate thing done by, but I don't have to say I believe it. I, I read you the quote once again. <laughs> so go back. I forgot what 
I forgot what episode it was. 11, 12. I forgot which episode it was, but it's back there. So they did not want a Muslim nation in Europe, and they specifically, they deliberately hamstrung the power of the Bosniaks or the authority of the Bosniaks, even though they are the largest demographic in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Now, as for today, we mentioned that there is some friction going on in Serbia. Once again, this is being recorded on uh, November 24th, 2021, the day before Thanksgiving in the United States. So things might have changed by the time you hear this. But there is a lot of talk right now, a lot of uh, news information about a man named Milorad Dodik, who is the Serb representative, the Serb the the representative the Serb representative of the presidency of Bosnia and Herzegovina. As I mentioned, it's a three person presidency there. He's also one of the major political leaders in Republika Srpska, the Serbian entity of Bosnia and Herzegovina. He has been the president before of Republika Srpska as well as I believe the Prime Minister too. And I believe he's also the leader of one of their major political parties. But Milorad Dodik has been in the news recently because he has begun to reject and expel several federal institutions in Republika Srpska, basically stating that we can do our own thing in Republika Srpska. We don't need the, the Bosnian uh, government to do these things for us. We can do our own things. Amongst these, however, was the military. So he had the, I think he, he requests, I don't think he's actually forced them out to, but I think he has requested and say he wants the Bosnian military out of Republika Srpska, stating that he'll create his own Bosnian Serb militia. And so he wants to remove the Bosnian National Army from Republika Srpska. And he has hinted that if the government doesn't do this, then he'll get help from his friends, and that is obviously Russia and Serbia. So that has that. That is what has people up in arms and people concerned that he may be trying to, or he will, he's using the threat of international violence to, and it's a very, it's a very mild threat, of course. It's a very subtle threat, but still, Alano's best, though. Besides the army, he also wants an independent court system in Republika Srpska. He wants independent financial systems, so that will probably mean his own, not his own currency, but a a different currency in Republika Srpska. Right now, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Republika Srpska, they both use the same currency for the entire nation. That's usually a federal thing. He's talk. He would probably want if he ever does get his own financial institutions. If he ever does that, then he would probably also want his own currency. And he also wants his own intelligence agency. I keep saying his, not his. He wants uh, Rep- Republika Srpska to have its own financial institutions and intelligence agencies, and most likely currency as well. Now, my understanding of the Dayton Peace Agreement, all of these requests he's doing, all these things violate the, the Dayton Peace Agreement. The Dayton Peace Accord or the Dayton Peace Agreement does not give a limitation or a time limit for how this structure was supposed to work out. As far as I'm aware of, I've, I've read it. I don't. I didn't see that. And so, to do these things, to have a separate army, separate financial, separate financial institutions, separate court system, that violates one of the tenets of the Dayton Peace Agreement, which is basically to maintain the unity and maintain the status quo. And this is kind of obviously not maintaining the political status quo. 
Now, though I don't think this will happen, we can imagine what would happen if Republika Srpska did indeed secede from Bosnia and Herzegovina. What if they tomorrow decided, you know, we want to do our own thing. We're no longer part of Bosnia and Herzegovina. I personally don't think that will happen, but if they did do that, I also don't think it would lead to war. For one thing, ethnic Serbs already dominate those regions within Republika Srpska. Part of the reason the war happened before was because the regions that the Bosnian Serbs wanted had large pockets of Bosniaks, Bosnian Muslims, as well as Croats, and the Serbs wanted them out. But that is not necessarily the case anymore. So Republic of Serbs, if they did, if, if they did secede from Bosnia and Herzegovina, they wouldn't have to go out and inflict violence on the government or, or on Bosnia. Bosnia would have to send its army in there to try to inflict violence and try to keep Republic of Serbska from seceding. And I really don't think they will do that. I mean, they'll fuss and yell and scream and shake their fists in the air. I, I really don't think Bosnia and Herzegovina would send its military in there if that happened, I don't even think Republic of Serbs is going to secede. Alano's best, of course, and <laughs> you might could be listening to this sometime in um, July 2022 and be like, yeah, Mutaki was dead wrong on this one. But Alano's best. Even if they did, Republic of Serbs is backed by Serbia. So I don't know. I just don't think it's going to happen. If it did happen, I don't believe the Western world would get involved as it did back in 1992-1993. And the Western world, the United Nations, the United States and all, they might levy sanctions against Republic of Serbska, but that's about it. But honestly, inshallah, I hope it doesn't happen. That wouldn't be good for anyone. But I've also read somewhere that these kind of threats happen all the time and it's not really that big of a deal. All three of these groups, the Muslims, the Croats, the Serbs, they bicker and quarrel often. And whenever that happens, someone winds up threatening to secede from this federation. And so it eventually settles down. No one ever does it. And so basically, Dodik's threats shouldn't be taken too seriously. Lano's best, I honestly do hope it doesn't happen. But... Allah is the best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. So that's going to end it for season seven of the Islamic History Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this series on the Bosnian War of the 1990s. In season eight, inshallah, I believe we're going over to the Mughal Empire. And I've done some reading up on it. Uh, the brother's helping me with the research. I haven't done much, much research myself. I'm just reading his research. Hope to have, have that available to you perhaps another five to six months inshallah it's not gonna be right away guys i'm sorry <laughs> i gotta take a rest after this after this uh series i gotta take a rest also gotta get the um, umayyad episode umayyad caliphate part two out to you as quickly as possible but inshallah it'll be coming on it'll be coming out very soon the um umayyad caliphate part two that is again if you would like to support the podcast please consider becoming a member of Islamic History Exclusive. If you have an Apple device, iPod, iPad, iPhone, Mac, open up your Apple Podcast app and look for Islamic History Exclusive and join up there. And if you're using Android, Windows, or anything else, 
go to patreon.com slash Islamic history and you can sign up there. Either way, it is all pretty much the same. You get the same information, get the same content and pay the same price. I think Apple might take a little bit more from me, but it doesn't matter. Really, if if the Apple one is easier for you, please do that. Do whatever is easiest for you. It is perfectly okay. And I thank you for your support. So that's going to do it for this season, brothers and sisters of the Islamic History Podcast. Let me know if I made any mistakes. If you have any further questions, I'll do what I can. May Allah have mercy on all of us. This was, once again, a very difficult series. You need to go take a rest. You need to go take a rest. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.